Well, we are uh, trucking through the book of Luke right now, and I am going to be in Luke chapter 9, verse 7 through 9, and then I'm going to skip down and read verses 8 through 18 through 22. Um, this is a, it's an odd patchwork of passages because in the middle of this, Jesus does something that, that um, all four Gospels talk about, the feeding of the 5,000, and we'll be talking about that next week. It's a pretty incredible miracle. Um, but tonight we're going to talk about who Jesus is in all of our lives. And I, I'm going to do something that I really don't hardly ever do. Um, I'm, I, I heard a message set from a guy named Robert Morris. Some of you guys know Robert Morris this week. And it really just, just shook me. And I'm going, to, I'm going to steal some stuff, okay? I'll just, I'll just be blighting with you. Um, but I'm giving him credit. Um, I don't know where mine ends and his begins and his ends and mine begins. But there's some stuff of his in here that, that it will kind of be interwoven in. But it was so good that I want to share it with you. So I'm, I'm, I want to be upright uh, before that. So let me start in Luke chapter 9, verse 7, and nine, 7 through 9. And it says this, Now Herod the Tetrarch heard, all, uh, heard of all that was done by him, being Jesus, him. And Herod was, perple- uh, Herod was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had risen from the dead, and by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen again. Herod said, John, I have beheaded, but who is this of whom I hear such things? So he sought uh, sought to see him. Go down to verse 18. It says this. That's right. It's the Holy Spirit. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? So they answered him and said this. Now listen, it's very similar to what Herod is saying. John the Baptist, but some say Elijah. And others say that that one of the prophets, old prophets, has risen again. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, Christ, the Christ of God, which basically he was saying God's Messiah. You're God's Messiah. You're God's Savior. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell uh, this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. It's amazing that he gave them the entire plan a year and a half before it happened and they just missed it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you that your word is true. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And we ask now that you would settle our hearts and minds and let us spend this next few minutes diving into something that I believe that you've given to us uh, through even through another pastor, but I believe it's for this church at this time. So help me articulate what you have on my heart. Settle me, settle my nerves. Holy Spirit, as always, be here and move me out of the way. Speak through me and speak only what you will. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We give you all glory and honor, Jesus, for you are all in all. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So... <laughs> If you look back in Matthew chapter 14, the same passage is going on, and I want to read it to you because it, 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 it exposes what actually happened to JTB, John the Baptist, okay? Um, the, there was, there, John the Baptist was coming into the government, and he was condemning things that were going on in the government, and the government didn't like it. Now, the government in that time and religion and hierarchies were all intertwined. And so in Matthew 14, 1 through 12, it says this, At this time, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus. 
And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work with him. Now, John was terrified, or Herod was terrified, and you'll see why. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had said to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. So there was some mingling going on in marriages. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. In another uh, gospel, it says, I will give you whatever you want, even half the kingdom. Must have been some dance. <laughs> so... She, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head here on a platter. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, he, because of the oath he had uh, given, because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. Funny thing about this is that you think if, if you know, if I, just, if I just preach the truth, if I just speak the truth, if I just kind of follow God's will, everything's going to be great. Ask JTB. <laughs> so now Herod is upset because he thinks John's back. And if John's back, then some weird stuff is going on, but he's already hearing this stuff kind of matriculating up. Miracles are happening. People are following this man named Jesus, and he's got the same spirit that John had. He's speaking the truth. He's pre preaching the gospel. He's healing people. I need to meet him. I need to see what's going on. And so people are saying the same thing about Jesus that the hierarchy is. They're saying he's a prophet of old. He's, he's, he's Elijah. He's Elisha. He's, he's come back from the dead. And, and after the feeding of the 5,000, his disciples come to Jesus and he says, well, I need to ask you guys something. Who do you say that I am? And I believe that Jesus, one day we are going to stand before the throne of God and that question is going to be asked of every single one of us. Who did you say that I was? Did you say that I was a good man or a prophet or a healer or another religious figure in history? Or did you say that I was the son of God and the doorway, I don't know what's going on over there, but or the doorway in which you can get to heaven? Because if it's any other answer than what Peter says, or you need to check your salvation. And I love you enough to say that. Because there's only one way to get to God. And that is through Jesus Christ. There's, there's no other, you can't get to God by being good. You can't get to God through Buddha or Muhammad or any other way. It is only through the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ that you can enter into heaven. And he says this, I am the door. I'm the door. I'm the door to what though? Now we know he's the door to eternal life, but he doesn't say that. I am the door to the Father. Okay? Now here's where we're going to get a little weird. Here's where we're going to go off the, 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 the circuits for just a second. And I've done a lot of studying on this this week and, this, and today, and it really, and, and I, I even talked to my wife about this because it's like sometimes it's, you just want this person that you can just call and say, am I right or am I wrong? Is this, is this crazy? Is this way off base? And she was like, why don't you just like ask God and look in the Bible, you know? Thanks, Beth. 
right again. In the Old Testament, Jesus was predominantly the one that actually talked to people, not God. Okay? We think it was God, the Father, the Ancient of Days, the one that is seated on the throne, but it's actually Jesus. And let me show you that. The first appearance of this person or this entity called the angel of the Lord, and Lord in most of your Bibles is capital L, capital O-R-D, the angel of Yahweh, okay? It appears in Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, at the birth of Ishmael through Hagar, the maidservant of Abraham and Sarah. And Jesus, the angel of the Lord, I believe, we can find about this later if you don't believe me, but um, the, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar and says, you need to go back and submit to your, your, your mistress, your, 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 the woman that's over you, and you're going to have a son, and his name will be this, and he will be a wild donkey of a man, and he will be at war with these people. And sure enough, the same thing that happens. But the very first appearance of this is through Hagar in relation to Abraham and Sarah. Then he appears again at Isaac's sacrifice in Genesis chapter 22, verse 11. He's the one that stops Abraham's hand from killing his son and saying, hey, listen, I provided a sacrifice. And the way it says it's like, the sacrifice has been provided by me. You need to look to your salvation. And, he, and, he, and, and Abraham calls that place Jehovah-Jireh. And on the mount to this day, it said that he will provide. There's a lot in, more in that. But that's the second location where it says the angel of the Lord appeared to Abraham. Okay? Now, in these appearances, when the angel of the Lord appears, men begin to worship this angel or this messenger or what I believe is the Old Testament incarnation of Jesus. Because anytime an, another angel like Gabriel or Michael appear, men will bow down and they say, do not worship us. Get up. We're just simply messengers. But when the angel of the Lord appears, he allows worship. That's, that's clue number one. I'm, I'm, I'm building a case here. The next passage, I, I want you to kind of go here with me if you've got your Bibles. Go to Exodus chapter 3. Because as many times as I've read this passage, this has never clicked to me. And it's amazing because I've read this passage many, many times. Exodus chapter 3. I'm going there with you. Now Moses was tending the flock... Of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So it wasn't just a burning bush. It was the angel of the Lord in the burning bush. Why have I never seen that before? I don't know. But I, I guess it's because when you're raised in Sunday school, you always just get this picture of a bush that does not, it's burning, but never is consumed. But it says the angel of the Lord appeared in the burning bush to Moses. Numbers 22, he appears to Balaam and the, with the talking donkey. Okay? Um, he appears and the donkey sees the angel of the Lord. Balaam doesn't because he's blinded. And the donkey turns around and is like, dude, stop doing what you're doing. So the... I can't say the word in church. Um, the donkey has more sense than the man. One talking to another. Anyway, the next he, he, he appears to Joshua in Joshua 5, 13 through 15. It's a very interesting appearance. And he appears as the, Lord of, uh, the commander of the Lord's army. And when Joshua sees him, he says, whose side are you on, mine or the enemy's? And he said, neither. I'm just here to take over. And Joshua worships him and he allows it. He appears to Elijah. 
Elisha, Gideon. It's when he calls Gideon out of the wine press. Now, this is an interesting one because if you've never read the story of Samson and how Samson was, was, was brought in, you need to go read this story. It starts in uh, Judges chapter 13. And there it is again. And the angel of the Lord appeared to a woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. And he goes on to tell him, he's going to be a Nazarite. He's not going to ha- he, you, you don't cut his hair. He's not going to be around dead people. And he can't drink alcohol. Okay? And he's going to be a mighty man. He's going to be victorious. She goes home and tells her husband. And her husband says, oh, my gosh, I would love to see that. And the Bible says that God hears his prayer and sends the angel of the Lord back. The angel of the Lord appears to them, and there's this little kind of sit-down thing where the, where, where the husband and wife are like, can we kill a goat for you? Can we, put, can we make dinner for you? Will you allow us to do this? And he says, I can't eat what you've given, but you can do, use it as a burnt sacrifice. You can use it as a burnt offering to me. And so they burn the thing, and they keep asking the angel of the Lord, what is your name? What is your name? What is your name? Look what it says. This is amazing. This is in verse 18. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name Seeing it is wonderful. You know, you guys didn't get that. This is, okay, I'll talk to you guys over here. Why do, why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Now, he's answering this in two parts. One, my name is wonderful. But my name is wonderful. <laughs> wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. You get what I'm saying? It's so wonderful you won't comprehend it, but it's actually wonderful. Like, they call me Wonderful. And I love that about the Bible because he's, he's announcing himself. Why do you keep asking my name? And the beautiful thing, I, I'm going to read this because these two are so hilarious together. It's a comedy routine. And, and Manoah, the husband, said to his wife, after the angel of the Lord disappears, he goes, we're going to die. We're surely going to die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, He would not have accepted a burnt offering, a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us these things, nor would he have told us such things as a time. He's going to tell us all this stuff. I'm supposed to have a kid, and you think he's going to kill us? You're a moron. I love the Bible. I just love it. It's It's such a picture into a husband and wife communication. It really is. We're going to die now. Oh, my gosh, you're an idiot. Okay. Exodus chapter 23, this one solidified it to me because this is where, at the point where I'm like, am I on the right track or am I on the wrong track? God, I need you to show me. So let's look at this right here. Exodus chapter 23. Again, I've never seen this before. Verse 20. This is God talking to the Israelites in the wilderness. He says, behold, I send an angel before you. Now, angel simply means messenger. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and to bring you into a place which I prepared. Beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him. Now listen to this, for he will not pardon your transgressions. An angel cannot pardon transgressions. There's only one man that can pardon transgressions. But it goes on. For my name is in him. But if you indeed obey his voice and do all I speak, then I will be an enemy to your father or to, uh, enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. And I'm thinking ahead, I'm sorry. But Jesus always said, I speak what the Father speaks, and I do what the Father does. And if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because these things that the Father does, I do. And he says, you listen to him because I'm putting my, ma- my words in his mouth. Is that not incredible? Now, why am I telling you all this? 
because the only person, there, there, there's, there's very few, few occasions where people saw God in the Old Testament. And I'm talking the ancient of days, the, the one who walks among the stones, the one who is seated on the throne. Moses was one of those. And he said, I would love to see you face to face. And God said, if you see me face to face, you will surely die. I will put you in the cleft of a rock and you will see me as I pass by you. And the only thing that you can actually comprehend is the glory of me as I walk by you. Okay? That's it. He's that powerful. He's that omnipresent. He's that omniscient. He's that omnipresent in our lives. And what Jesus now does is he opens the doorway to that. He opens the doorway to the Father. And through his blood and through his sacrifice, we can now go boldly before the throne of grace. Amen? When my kids walk into my office, they're never stopped. When Jesus walks into dad's throne and has me with him, he says, hey, he needs to talk to you. Because as the advocate now, I've given him full access to the Father. Wow, glory to God. Woo! I'm telling you, that's the amazing thing about what Jesus did. And it's pictured in the Old Testament over and over and over again. And it was there all the time. So then he goes into and he says this. In Luke chapter 9, back in our text, he says, And he strictly warned and commanded them, To tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and raised on the third day. Now, I want to focus on this this passage of the Son of Man. And again, I'm going to kind of go off into left field, but I've got something to, to say about this. The Son of Man appears in the Bible 107 times in the Hebrew Bible. And the majority, 93 times, it's in the book of Ezekiel. Okay? 93 times... Ezekiel keeps referring to himself as the son of man. This is not a term about God. This is a term about about Ezekiel. The son of man saw this. He saw this. He saw this. When Jesus comes on the scene in the New Testament, he begins to take on that phrase. The son of man must suffer many things. The son of man, the son of man. He, He begins to say this. And it's also found in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 13, it says, And in the midst of the seven lampstands, which represent the church, okay? In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. In Revelation 14, 14, it says, Then I looked and beheld a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and his hand a sharp sickle. Now, Why did John, the revelator, write the book of Revelation? Is it all about end-time prophecy? Is it all about telling us that we're all doomed and that the Abaddon's coming back and the whore of Babylon and all those things? No. Revelation 1-1 tells you exactly why he wrote this book. It's in the first five books, or the first five words. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? If you are reading this book... With anything other than that in mind, you're missing the whole point. Because this book is actually showing you Jesus revealed. Jesse calls me today, and he's in Matthew chapter 16, and he says, there's a passage in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, some of you will not die until you've seen the Son of Man revealed in his glory. And he's talking to his disciples. And Jesse said, what do they mean by that? What does he mean by that? And I said, well, there's Jesus the man, 
and Jesus God, okay? And on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John get to see Jesus in his full glory. They hadn't died yet. Paul says, I was taken up into the third heaven and got to see him high and lifted up, okay? John, the revelator, gets to see Jesus as Jesus truly is, the glorified Jesus. So some of these guys don't even, aren't even going to pass through death and they're going to see me as I really am, not as me as the humble servant, okay? You following me so far? Okay. But there's a correlation between the two. There's a correlation between Ezekiel and Revelation. And this is where I want to get to. And I don't want to get too confusing, but, but I want to tell you about this because this is, this is where we're going to get. In Revelation, the, the, the book is, is kind of broken down like this. In the Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3, Jesus is talking about the church. He's talking about seven churches in particular, but he's talking about the church as it grows throughout time. If you look at the churches that he talks about, you can look at the timeline of churches from his death until now, and it is perfectly in order of the problems that we've had, the difficulties that we faced, and it, and it lines up perfectly with history. And if they were in any other order, it wouldn't make sense. But he knows what he's talking about. But here's the amazing thing. At the end of chapter 3, you can fact check me on this one, Angela. Um, she didn't believe me about Smith Wigglesworth either. She told me the man, when they died, they did a minor autopsy on him, and they found that he didn't have kneecaps. And that there was a space in his room that was about a foot apart, and in the hardwood floors there were divots. God, why don't we see your power anymore? We still have kneecaps. Um, That's beside the point. Where was I at? (laughs) Son of man. Huh? Gina chapter 3, thank you so much. The word church does not appear anymore. That's it. The church is taken up. And we are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. Okay? All right? But in chapter 4, something weird happens. A creature appears. And this creature has four faces. Let me read it to you. Revelation chapter 4, the church as we know it is no more. We're now up with Christ, okay? But I think this is a visual of what the the church actually truly is. And he says this, the first living creature was was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf or a a, a young ox. The third living creature had a face of a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within, and they did not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, then the the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who live forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will... They exist and were created. That's what we're going to be doing. Because we're going to experience a being so magnificent that we will never get to the end of saying that for eternity. That's who we serve right now. Now, the correlation with the Son of Man and Ezekiel goes back to this. In Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10 through 12, it says, As for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man... 
Each had, of them had four, had face of the lion on the right side. Each of the four had a face of the ox on the left side, and each of the four had the face of an eagle on the back. Thus were their faces. Their wings stretched upward, two wings of each one touched one another, and two wings covered their body. Now listen to this. Each one went straight forward. They went wherever the Spirit wanted to go. They did not turn when they went. You follow me still. Have I lost anybody? All right, so we're talking about now what the church actually looks like. Because I believe these things, these four things are indicative of the foundations of the church. If you look in the Gospels, I'll read this so I don't mess this up. Matthew represents the lion. Mark represents the ox, the suffering servant. Luke represents the man. It's the most human uh, documentation that we have of Jesus. It's a longer representation of the crucifixion. He goes through more pain. It's it's all of the things that represents the, 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 the man. And John is the eagle, which is the priesthood or worship. Okay? So you have the lion, which is now spiritual warfare or prayer. You have the eagle, which is worship. You have the ox, which is service or humility. And then you have uh, the man, which is grace and truth. The son of man is Jesus. Now, let me illustrate this. I want four volunteers. Anybody want to volunteer? Barb does. Come on, you chickens. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, Eric, and uh, come on, Kathy. All right. Now, you're the eagle. I want you pointing this way. No, I mean facing this way. <laughs> Face this way. Eric, come on up here. You're the ox. Come on over here. You're the lion. Turn that way. And you're the man. Turn around. Now, here's the deal. This is what it says. When the spirit moved, the entire creature moved with it, right? And none of the heads moved. Okay? Keep your head straight. So, Barb, what are you? (laughs) The man, the ox, the eagle, the eagle, the eagle. And the eagle represents worship. Now, the spirit of God begins, the Holy Spirit begins to move the church into the direction of the worship. Okay? And so the whole being goes this way. You follow me. Don't move your heads. Keep, keep coming. You're following me. What would you say, Kathy? I didn't know the way I was you, you weren't looking. Now, you can't look. you got to keep your head. Okay, stop, stop, stop moving. Stop moving. Now we're going to go in the direction of the lion. The lion is spiritual warfare prayer. Don't move your heads. Barb, you got to come. Barb, you're not, we don't know where you're going. No. Well, you can touch because they had wing, wings that were touching each other. Yeah, come on, Barb. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. Now we're going to go in the movement of grace and truth. Go forward, Steve. Go forward. Go forward. Now I want you to stop. Lastly, we'll go in the direction of servitude. Come back this way. When service is moving, these three don't know where they're going. When the man is moving, these three don't know where they're going. Okay? Thank you, guys. I'll explain. Give them a hand. One other little tidbit or information, rabbinical, uh, rabbinical tradition says that um, the, the, tribes, the tribes of Israel, Judah bore the lion, Reuben bore the man, Ephraim bore the ox, and Dan was the figure of an eagle. So they, when they were parked in the uh, wilderness, these signals, these flags were flying in the tribes of Israel. It's amazing because they all represent Je- a form of Jesus but a form of the church. Okay, here's the thing. When you come to a church 
and that church is moving in the direction of worship, and you are a worshiper, that's what draws you here, okay? But what happens when the Spirit of God says, we got to go to prayer? I don't like prayer. No, I'm serious. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I love the Word of God. I love grace and truth. I love worship, and I love serving, but I am very weak in prayer. I have ADD. It's very hard for me to concentrate. I have to get in alone. My best time of prayer is when I get into my car and I drive because I'm doing something secondary with my mind, and I can focus on God. I have to do that. I know that about me. But prayer is the weakest link for me. But here's what the Holy Spirit does. He always moves you in the direction you're the weakest in. And we fight it. That is why churches are not buffets. And they're not gyms. You don't get to a church because it's a gym membership. You go to a church because the Spirit of God is moving there. And when he says, I need you to move in the direction of service, and you say, I'm not a servant, he's moving you there because you're weak. And he wants to take you to a level of servitude that you've not been to before. And then you say, well, I'm going to have to pray for the pastor because this church is not going in the direction that I want it to. Or it's not the church that I came to. Or this, that, or the other. It's because the Spirit keeps moving in these four directions. And we'll eventually get back to the one, to the one that scratches your itch. But for now, we are constantly moving in the direction that the Spirit wants us to go. And that is why it is so important that we are attuned to the Holy Spirit. Because when He moves and we don't hear Him, it's over. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a picture of the four foundations of church. Prayer, service, grace and truth, and worship. And God will always move us where we're the weakest. Don't ever look at that change as a bad thing. Look at it as in, thank you, God, that you love us enough to chasten us. You love us enough to not leave us where you found us. Amen? You got to stand with me. There are times where we follow through obedience because it's like I, I, I genuinely don't know what is actually up and over the hill. And God says, it doesn't matter. You follow me. And, there, and listen, listen, Kathy even said it. She said, I can't see where I'm going. Because when one moves, the other three are lost. They're, they're, they're following by faith. Do you see what I'm saying? And then when the other, you might get a peripheral vision. You might say, oh, oh well, I kind of see what's going on. But until the Spirit moves in your direction and you say, okay, I see exactly where we're going. Three out of the four times he moves you, it's totally by faith. Amen. And it relates back. It's amazing how the Bible all interrelates. It's crazy. Where Jesus says the same thing about the four soils. He says one in four will get it. One in four. That's your ratio. When I put something on something, you either move by faith or you don't get it. The cares of the world, the pressures of life, has roots, goes down, sun withers it away, or, or the birds of the air come and take it away. But the fourth produces a harvest, some 30, 60, even 100-fold. And this isn't in my notes. I think this is the Lord speaking. There are times in our life where if we're not susceptible to the moving and leading of the Holy Spirit, we are going to miss it. Amen? Amen? 
Be open. Be pliable. Be available. Be that good ground that he can dig up, root up, plant in, and produce a harvest, some 30, 60, even 100-fold. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And God, we ask that you would do just that. Root that up in our hearts. Help us to hear this. Let us, let us be in a place where we can hear from the Holy Spirit. Sometimes life gets in the way. Sometimes our attitudes, our actions, our thoughts, our plans. But who can stand before you, God? When you say move, we need to move. When you say stay, we need to stay. And God, we just ask that you would speak clearly to each and every one of us in our own lives this week about the leading and the direction of the Holy Spirit, whether that's through prayer, service, praise, or speaking the grace and truth of the gospel to people in our lives. Lord, I love you, and I thank you for it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altars are open.